Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Well, welcome to Renaissance. It is wonderful to see you all. Um, seven years ago, in about two weeks, we had our very first service here in the building. And before uh, Renaissance met in a downtown building, we used to just meet in my home for just a Bible study. In fact, before it was a church, it was just a simple Bible study. People would show up at my house every Sunday at six, and we would just open the Bible. I think we spent about nine months studying the book of John. And what I loved about the Bible study that was in our house is it was filled up with a lot of young people, which is kind of what I see here today. And the great thing about young people is that they're they're sort of never on time, anyone, right? Sorry if that stings a little bit, but it's a real thing. You'll get over it one day. And, and, uh, but I remember some days at like three till six, there would be nobody at the house. And my wife and I would think, maybe this is the week nobody shows up, right? But as soon as six o'clock came or 6.01, like just all the kids showed up and said, where's the food? It's time to eat. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's have a lot of fun. And so um, we carry that over into the the church here. I think every week, this might be the week that no one shows up. So thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. It's so great to see all of you. Um, my name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here at the church. So if you have a Bible with you, let's go ahead and start studying our Bible. We're going to be in Genesis chapter one, if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, if you look underneath the seat around you, you can find a hardback black Bible, and you can turn to Genesis chapter one there. We're going to spend time in all of the first chapter of Genesis and the first few verses of Genesis one and the first few verses of, of chapter two. And if you don't have any sort of understanding about the Bible, how that whole thing works out, Genesis is the first book in your Bible. So if you can just get past the table of contents and those first few pages, and if you find the first page of text, that is the first chapter of Genesis chapter one. And we'll read again, um, work mostly in all of chapter one and the first part of chapter two. And as you guys are turning there, I just want to go ahead and just speak to the elephant that's in the room. So some of you that, that know um, what Genesis chapter one is about, Genesis chapter one and chapter two, is the creation account. It's the story that we've been given by God to tell us how everything came into existence. And the elephant in the room by that is this, is that it is a hotly contested um, idea on what that looked like. And in fact, we, we know that there are Christians, God-loving, Jesus-serving, Jesus-honoring Christians, some of you might be in this room, some of us rather, I'll throw myself in this group, might be in, in the room here, that would disagree on what this account truly looked like. There, there could be some disagreement on whether or not this was an actual or literal six-day creation. And there, there are people that believe that, and I think that's good and godly, that on day one, God did this, day two, God did this, day three, God did this, and on day seven, God rested, and it was done. 
And then I think the other group of people look at that and go, well, I just can't see how that would happen because they look at how um, the author of, of Genesis sort of put things in order. Let me give you an example. So in, in Genesis chapter three, sorry, Genesis chapter one, verse three, it tells us that God created the land and all the vegetation, all the plants and stuff. And we would know scientifically that plants need the sun for photosynthesis, yes? Right, science majors, uh-huh, mm-hmm, heard of that. I don't know, sounds familiar. <laughs> but we don't learn until the next day, day four, does God create the sun? So what? Does that seem weird to you that God would create all of the plants that require the sun and yet not make the sun first? And so because of that, then it seems to get a little um, maybe out of order and people begin to maybe not trust it as much. Maybe it's not a literal six-day creation story. Maybe it looks like something else. And if that's not really true, then there's other parts in Scripture that might not also be true. And, and if those parts aren't true, then when it speaks of Jesus in the New Testament, then maybe that whole Jesus thing isn't true. And before long, the whole thing can come crumbling down like a house of cards. And I can tell you this, that we could spend time talking about literal six-day creation if you want to. And I think that's good and godly to do. I'm just here to tell you, my opinion is that this is a story that God has given us about creation. And I think the primary thing for us to understand is that God created everything. Is this okay? I feel like I'm unveiling myself a little bit to you. And I think all of those things about a six-day creation is, is good. I'm not even saying I disagree in that. I'm just saying my point in, in teaching today won't be about that. So if you're longing for some proof text as to how it was an actual six-day creation, you're going to go out wanting more tonight because I'm not going to do that. What I hope to do is teach this passage as a message of comfort, which I truly believe was the primary motivation in the author's um, writing of Genesis. We'll see in a minute that the people of God, Israel, had found themselves in a tumultuous time in their history. That they had, uh, they're living in a place with a whole lot of unknowns taking place in, in their world. And they're, they're concerned about what the future might bring. They're concerned about what tomorrow might look like. And, and over and over and over again, and it's in the middle of this unsettledness that the writer of Genesis brings the story of creation, reminding all of them, God created everything. Like, if, oh, this is so wonderful. If there's, if there's any moment to find solace in the unsettledness of life, it's the reality that God who created everything is still at work and is still watching over things and is still in charge of everything that he's created. So rather than get into the, the conflict and the debate on whether this thing is six days or six million years, eh, I want to preach a message of comfort to us who would also find ourselves in a tumultuous time. And you would agree with me that this, this world can be somewhat um, unforgiving to us, yes? It can be somewhat difficult to us, yes? And if you're not nodding, right, I just want to remind you what happened a week ago Saturday in Hawaii. If you were visiting Hawaii or maybe know someone in Hawaii, your phone blew up and told you that emergency broadcast network um, thing was, had just popped up on your phone. And, and the message was this, that a ballistic missile had just been launched from North Korea and it was headed to Hawaii. And it says, take shelter immediately. And I quote, this is not a drill. Now, this was a mistake, but you can imagine all the people losing their mind when this was happening, right? The phone banks at 911 just blew up. Is this real? Is this real? Is this real? And so, yes, there's certainly some unsettledness in all of that that's taking place with some of the world leaders all over the place. 
And if it's not overseas, it's maybe here. I was praying for a friend of mine this morning um, who a week ago had a medical event take place in her life. Long story short, she ended up in the ICU and doctors said she would be in the ICU, ICU for 14 days. And God did this miracle. I won't bore you with the details. I mean, God did a miracle. It was absolutely wonderful. And as I'm praying for her, I'm not praying for her health because I think God's got that under control, right? I'm praying for her that when she gets home and in, in a week or so, the bills from the hospital are gonna start showing up. Has anyone ever spent 14 days in the ICU having had brain surgery and on? You can imagine what this looks like. Now, you can also picture what this is going to do to her life and there's a certain unsettledness and some craziness that's coming her way, right? So I'm praying that God would comfort her in the middle of all of this stress and tumultuous timing in her life. And I believe that that's the message that God wants for all of us. So that being said, I just want to pray for us that we could hear the comforting voice of the Lord and then look to the creation account to find that comfort we need. Is that okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you that, that each of us would carve out this part of our day that we would drive in, that we would spend time with people that we know, some that we don't know, we would just pack into this little room and we would just focus our attention on you, but for the next hour or so. And we ask, Lord, that you would, um, that you'd use your Holy Spirit, that the Bible also calls a capital C comforter, that the Holy Spirit would come to us and he would comfort us tonight. That we could see the hope that is found in the creation story. That we could see the hope that is found in Jesus in the creation story. And we ask that you would be with us tonight. That you would speak to our hearts and to our minds. That we could see you more clearly after having spent some time here today. So we thank you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen. Amen. So we'll be in the book of Genesis probably for the next 28 weeks, 30 weeks or so, however long it takes us to get through it. And we're not going to do it like we've, we typically do Bible studies. We're not really going to go line upon line, precept upon precept. We're going to look at the narratives or the stories that are in the book of Genesis. And so this first narrative or first story is this, this picture of God creating everything. So all of chapter one and the first part of chapter two. And before we get started, it's probably really helpful for us to first look at who wrote the book of Genesis to sort of try to answer that question. And then maybe more importantly, uh, to whom did the person write it to? So what we know traditionally is that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. We call this the Pentateuch, right? For five penta. So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And traditionally, we believe that Moses wrote that. And we can feel pretty comfortable with that because Jesus in the New Testament, he quotes the Old Testament saying the writings of Moses. So Jesus believed that Moses wrote it. Then I think it's safe for us to believe that Moses wrote it. Say yes. Yes, thank you very much. However we know that he didn't write at all, which already starts to rock the boat a little bit. We're like, well, how is this possible? I thought he, he did write it all. We couldn't possibly have written it all. We know that later some editors have come in in history and added some details and some points to sort of tie the whole narrative together. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, which is the last chapter in the Pentateuch, the last part that Moses had written, it speaks of Moses' death. 
Moses goes up a hill with God. He dies. God buries him. That's wild, right? But there's no possible way Moses wrote that. Why? Because he's dead. No one can write this stuff when you're dead, right? But that doesn't cause us to lose um, faith in this thing, yes? Now, this is Moses who writes it, but who is he writing it to? He's writing it to God's people, the nation of Israel. And if you know the story of Moses, Moses plays a particular role in the history of the nation of Israel. And it's this part of their history. When they had been bound in slavery in a, in, in a country called Egypt, Moses comes 10 miraculous plagues later, Pharaoh sends Israel out into the desert so they can make their way to the promised land. Moses is writing this story of Genesis, the creation account, starting in Genesis chapter one, to God's people who are wandering through the wilderness, who are wondering where their next meal is going to come from. God does this miracle thing. You can read about it in the book of Genesis where he sends manna from heaven. It's this little snowflakey type stuff that they would use to create bread. And when God gives manna to the people, he tells them, do not gather more than you need for a day. But guess what the people did? They didn't trust him. Check. So God leads them out of Egypt where they had been enslaved right to a Red Sea. God miraculously parts the Red Sea. People cross through on dry ground. Then they complain about not having food. God brings food from the sky. What? This is crazy. And then they begin to not trust him that God will continue to bring food every day. They hoard it. They hold on to it. And it says in the Bible that the next day they found everything that they had gathered had become stinky and had been filled with worms. And soon they begin to trust the word of the Lord again. The God who brought us out of Egypt now will provide food for us. But, but we're in the desert, O Lord. We're, we're everywhere we find something to drink. And he goes, check this. And he tells Moses to speak to a rock. Strange, I know. But out of the rock flows water that then brings living <laughs> sustenance. It brings refreshing drink to the people of Israel. As, as they are traveling through the wilderness, they are bumping into neighboring nations with other kings that are ruling and reigning over those nations. Those other kings are serving other false gods. And as soon as they get into the wilderness, the Amalekites, a neighboring nation from the east, they come in and press against Israel. And they're scared about all of this stuff. And they're wondering what's gonna happen next. And it's in the middle of all of this, God gives Moses the story of comfort of the creation account. And he says these words in famously, right? In Genesis chapter one, verse one. He said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ah, this word beginning is where we get the word Genesis. Genesis just means beginnings. And, and Moses starts there. He starts with this idea that in the beginning, God created everything. And, and the reason this is somewhat important to us is because you have to understand Moses could have spoke about any number of things to open the discourse about this message of comfort. He could have talked about how Joseph miraculously saved the people of Egypt or the people of Israel by, by going to Pharaoh and getting him to save grain and all this stuff. But he doesn't spend time talking about Joseph, Joseph or rather he doesn't start with the story of Joseph. He doesn't start with the story of Jacob, his dad. He doesn't start with his grandfather, Isaac. He doesn't start with Abraham, the father of the faithful. He doesn't even take us back to the beginning of the, the, sto the, the story of the flood with Noah. He, he, he even goes further back than the story of Adam, the first man who ever lives. He takes us back to the very beginning of 
everything when there was chaos and disorder in the unknown. And God comes into this place and creates something. God speaks something. He creates the heavens and the earth. And it says in verse two that the earth that God had created here was without form and void. And it says, and darkness was over the face of the deep. There was no form to this thing that God had created. But it says, but the spirit of God was hovering over the waters of this formless thing. Now that's a real encouraging thing, especially if you're Israel, because you have to understand, as God was leading Israel through the wilderness, he did this really cool thing. God would show up to where all the people were in the form of a cloud. It says in the day he was a cloud and at night he was a pillar of fire. <laughs> this is crazy stuff, I know. And so, but he would be there with the people and the people of God would know this. That God's presence was somehow with them in the middle of all of this tumultuousness. And then he says in the beginning of the creation account that yes, it was formless. Yes, it was without void. Yes, it was dark, but God was there. And it's this presence of God that changes everything. God sees the difficulties in this uncertainty of life. He sees this. He, he knows this. This might be comforting to some of you that God is paying attention to everything that's happening on the earth. Did you know that? Some of you might not be so comforted by that, <laughs> right? Yeah, he saw Friday night. I'm just telling you right now. Oops. Yeah. The spirit of God, the presence of God is hovering there. And then in verse three, the creation narrative goes up a notch. And it says in this moment that God spoke and he says, oh, this is so great. He says, let there be light. And immediately the darkness obeyed. Immediately. It doesn't argue with God. It doesn't say, but, but, but I've been here longer. I know more about this than you do. No, it doesn't. When, when God speaks, let there be light, darkness moves to its proper place and light takes over. This is a beautiful picture of the powerful the miraculous, wonder-working power of God's words. God's words have power. Um, continuing in this narrative, verse six, it says that God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. He creates the seas and the sky. He separates the two different things into this firmament idea. Um, verse nine, he says, let the waters under heaven be gathered together into one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so, he, God comes in and he speaks to oceans and he tells them to move so that the dry ground can come up. Isn't this awesome? And how comforting must this have been to the people of Israel who were wondering what on earth is happening to them? Verse 11, God said again, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. In, in three days, simple, few verses, Moses tells the story of God creating the sea, the sky, light, land, vegetation, and he forces back the destructive powers of chaos with his powerful word. This is what God does. In fact, this phrase, God said, is repeated. It's like a, a movie film on repeat. It just kind of goes over and over and over again. Moses repeats this line 10 separate times. God said, God said, God said. God creates everything with 10 words. And this most undoubtedly reminded Israel of another 10 words that God had spoken to them. 
See, when they first got out of Egypt, crossed through the Red Sea, found themselves at the foot of a mountain called Sinai, God calls Moses up to commune with God, and God begins to speak about the relationship that he's going to have with his people, the nation of Israel. It's a marriage covenant, if you will, and God speaks these 10 words of the marriage contract. We call it the 10 commandments. This is the law for Israel. And so when Moses tells them the story of God creating things with 10 other words, they're immediately reminded that God, you hear this, God chose them. He chose them of all the nations on the earth. He chose them not because they were the most mighty. He chose them because he loved them, the Bible says. And in 10 words, he explains how the the relationship is going to play out. And then in 10 words, he explains to them how God created everything. And this idea, the doctrine of God's sovereignty is birthed inside of them. Slowly and surely, they begin to trust that God is in control. Do you trust him? Do you know that God is in control? You see how much more comfort we can find in this message instead of debating whether or not it was six days? Again, not that that's a bad thing, I'm just saying. This is the story that I think Moses wanted us to hear. All of this imagery of God speaking is a powerful picture of a sovereign who sits upon his throne and utters a decree and it is finished. It is done. When this guy speaks, it happens. In the ancient times, the kings were the law of the land. The picture here is that this king of the universe, the creator of the universe speaks and it happens like that. I I love the fact that John, one of the apostles of Jesus, when he begins to write his narrative about the story of Jesus' life, we call it the gospel of John, that he begins exactly like Moses did in the beginning of Genesis. He says these words, in the beginning. He, He quotes Genesis chapter one. John, speaking of Jesus, says this. He says, in the beginning was the word, capital W word. This is a person, not a thing, just so you know. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. If I were to ask you, who who is this word that John speaks of? Uh-huh. Yes, yes, it's, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yes, it's Jesus. So Moses gives us the, the narrative of the creation account and Moses goes one step further and says, I need to tell you about our Lord and Savior too because he was there. I'd like you to think of it this way. When God would speak that things needed to be created and God said, it was Jesus who went to work. Paul understands this idea as well in, in, in Colossians chapter one. He says that Jesus, verse 15, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things Hold together. I want to read that again, and I want to change out 
the word him and put in Jesus. And now listen to this, because this is really what John wanted us to see. This is really what the Apostle Paul wants us to see. And this is really where we can find comfort for you and I. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all of creation, for by Jesus all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. This this idea is so comforting to us to have a picture of this King Jesus who decrees salvation for us. I love this idea. You need to to picture this. The world had devolved into such chaos yet again. God's created order was just a mess, right? It's like your house at Thanksgiving when all the family comes together times 10 or something, right? It's just a horrible thing. And in the middle of this chaos, God speaks again. And this time he speaks through his son, Jesus. And this time, the words sound like this. For whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. For whosoever would have faith in Christ would not perish, but live eternally with God forever. This this message of hope now comes through, not some far away, you know, thousands of years ago story of God creating. It's very real to us through Jesus Christ. He is the king. He is the savior. He is the one who makes the difference for you and I. I love that we get to see who God is through the God-man Jesus. And this powerful word picture of how great and powerful and wonderful and majestic and kingly Jesus is, it even makes it um, the idea of his sacrifice of becoming a human being to be veiled in flesh, to become a slave, I think is what Paul says in Philippians. It makes it even more so tremendous to us. The king of the universe bankrupt himself, leaving heaven and all the riches therein to come and dwell among us. And now through faith in him alone, you and I can have hope of eternal life. So 10 times Moses tells the story of God speaking in creation. Then he changes directions and begins to speak to them on about how long it took God to do this. This is the seven day idea. And he speaks to them. In seven days, God created everything. Well, in six days, he created everything. On the seventh day, it says that he rested. This number seven might not mean much to you and I, but to Israel, it certainly meant a lot to them. It was this idea of completion. It's this idea of of fullness. Um, they understood this from their, their work week. God had already spoke to them about collecting manna that we talked about earlier. For six days, you can collect it, but the seventh day, you rest. And Moses takes that idea of seven days, and he lays into it the framework of the creation account. And he says, in day one, God creates the light. Day two, God creates the sea and the skies. Day three, God creates the land and the vegetation. Day four, and he goes on and on and on again. Now, here's where the, the challenge for, for Moses comes in. He has eight Eight creative accounts that he wants to give on how God created everything, but he only has six days to fit them all in, right? So he, he doubles up some of them. And when he does this, this is so beautiful, there's this incredible parallel that happens between the days. And just give me a few minutes to, to spit this out of my mouth. Um, 
I nerd out on this sort of stuff. If you're not that guy, that's absolutely fine. You can just check your Facebook for the next five minutes or so, and it won't bother me at all. But I need you to see this, the parallels between the days of creation. Day one, God says, let there be light. He creates light. Day four, he creates the light bearers, right? The sun, the moon, and the stars. Day two, he creates the sea and the sky. Day five, he creates the inhabitants of the sea and the sky, the fish and the birds. Hey. Day three, he creates land and vegetation, two things there. And day six, he creates all of the land animals and mankind. And then it says on the seventh day, he rests. He, he sits back from the work that he's done. So it's, it's in this sort of idea um, that I begin to believe that, it's, that the author, Moses, is not interested really in giving us a chronological event of what's taking place, but rather he's, he's creating this, this sort of literary narrative about the creation account, again, to bring comfort to the people. It's a, it's a sermon of sorts is how I see it. And, and to show you how comforting this would have been, Look where he placed the creation of the sun, the moon, and the stars. This is significant because as, as Israel is wandering around the desert, again, bumping into other nations, many of those nations worship false gods. Many of those nations worshiped the sun as a god, moon as a god. They're into astrology about the stars. and it's not. In fact, the nation of Egypt, their, their greatest god was the sun god, Ra. And, and Moses says, there's no reason to fear them and the power of their gods because I made them, <laughs> right, in between blueberries and bluegill. I'm just saying, I made them in between the vegetation and the animals. And when, when he says these words, he doesn't even name them. He doesn't say the sun God, Ra. He just, he calls them the greater light and the lesser light. And Israel all of a sudden goes, wait, wait a minute. We don't need to fear these powerful gods of these foreign nations. And God's like, are you kidding me? They're a created thing just like insects. And God can do this whenever he wants to. Isn't that beautiful? He doesn't name them. These powerful gods of the pagans were only lights made by our God. I do love how uh, Moses tells us that he creates the sun and the moon. Um, and then almost as an afterthought kind of parenthetical idea, oh, he made the stars too. Just kind of throws that out there. Do you know how many stars are in our galaxy alone? A hundred billion, they estimate. And how many galaxies beyond our galaxy are there? Ugh, it's ginormous. Feel the weight of that, the, the power of God who is creator. So um, 10 times God speaks. He does all this work in seven days. And then my last point is this, is that everything God had created was good. And he, he reminds us of that. He would create something that would be the end of the first day and he would say that that was a good thing. This is maybe a, a gentle reminder um, that this world is not running and operating the way God intended it to run. <laughs> do, do you see that? That if God was to say that everything that he had created was, was good, then, then he's either a liar or something is amiss, right? Something is, is wrong here. Well, this again is the tell of the need for Jesus that sin has crept into this world. I won't even say crept. It sort of bulldozed its way into this world. And it tries to usurp authority from Jesus continually and always. And we don't, we don't need to um, 
battle it back ourselves. We just need to partner with Jesus who's already overcome the darkness, who's already overcome sin, already overcome the effects of sin, and believe that the things God has made is good. Believe that this, this world is not operating the way it's supposed to because something is wrong. And Jesus, bless his name, has come to fix that. And now we can establish the goodness that God intended for it to be anyways. He seems to have this sort of pause in um, verse 26. Just so you know, you're gonna have to read some of this stuff on your own. We're not gonna spend time going through all of the verses. So um, you have a little homework tonight. Just go home and read Genesis chapter one, the first part of chapter two, to tie all this together. But in, in, in verse, did I say chapter? I'm an idiot some days. <laughs> chapter one through chapter two. Yeah, anyways. So um, verse 26 um, Moses tells us the story of God creating mankind. And it's almost like he has this moment of reflection where he says, let us make man in our image. Everything else he'd created, just poof, poof, poof. And all of a sudden he sort of pauses and he says, let us make man in our image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that God creates mankind in his image and then places them in his good, his good creation. Now picture this, if you will. Um, in ancient cultures, it was not uncommon for kings to make statues or images of themselves and to place them into the far places of their kingdom. And so any sojourner, any wayward people that come wandering through would look upon the statue and say something like this, oh, this land belongs to him. Now picture, God pauses to create us and says, let's do something that we didn't do with pigs, cattle, fish. Let's create something in our image, place them into our created ordered um, world and, and take claim to that which is ours. We have been placed by God as his image bearer to tell people this belongs to him. Oh, now that's really, really exciting because if you have this idea that maybe you're just swirling around in some mysterious rock called earth and there's no purpose or intention to your life, you're not reading it correctly. You're missing the point. Oh yes, God has a purpose and an intention for your life. Yes, it is most definitely to claim that which is his. So um, I'll pause here for a minute and just confess this to you, that as I rehearsed this message, I knew I was going to land at this place in my sermon, and I knew I was going to have to say some things to you, and I debated whether or not I should say them. I prayed, honestly, that we would be out of time before I had to say these things, and yet I still have six minutes and nine seconds left. So it looks like, it looks like I want to share a couple things with you. But when I, when I do this, I need you to hear this the motivation behind it, because I have an understanding of this idea that we are image bearers of God, that God intends for us to walk into places that are dark and to claim that back for him that was once his. I, I, okay, so um, there are some in the church who would, would argue that Christians shouldn't do certain things, that Christians are called to live a certain way and they shouldn't be with certain people groups, they shouldn't haunt certain places, they shouldn't go around certain, you, you know, see what I'm saying here? Anyone? 
Right? No? Yeah? Okay. So anyway, that, that's what I'm saying. And I just say this. I lovingly disagree with that idea. And I, I say that because, number one, I understand this idea of God wanting his image bearers to go into the, the kingdom and to claim it for himself. But secondarily, I see the life of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Who? That's awesome. Jesus went to where the sinful people were. Now, just for a moment, if you're hanging out with your friends, getting high, drinking beers or whatever, and you have this idea that you're somehow witnessing to them for the gospel of Jesus, do you and me a favor and stop lying. You're, you're prostituting the scriptures to have your way and, your, and fun. You're, you're not promoting God's kingdom by doing that. So just stop being a moron about it, okay? Right? Let God transform your life. And then when you're matured and built up, empowered by the spirit of the living God himself, then go and claim the dark places back for Christ. Now, my story looks like this. When I first became a Christian, I, I had to cleave off of my life a lot of my past. A lot of the people that I loved and desperately wanted to spend time with, family members, best friends, I had to leave them behind because the things they were doing were bad for me. And I needed cleaned up. I needed all that stuff purged out of my life. But years go by and maturing in the understanding of the gospel and of scripture and of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, God then calls me back to those people. So hear me, I'm going back to the places that I desperately wanted to avoid. And people were saying, Jeff, I think you're not doing it right. That sin is going to come back and attach itself to you. And I said, do you not know how powerful the Holy Spirit is? Yes or no? Because I'm not afraid of that. God wouldn't pull me out of that to then throw me back into it as some cruel, torturous joke, would he? No. See, what I saw is that there were dark places where my friends still wanted to go, and they desperately needed to see the light of Jesus. And so I would go. And I'm one of those people who argues with God. Anyone? Right? I'm like, Lord, I'll go. But I'm not going to be that guy that says, can I tell you about my personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? <laughs> I'll go. But I'm just going to be me. I'll go and I'm just going to hang out with them. I'll drink water or whatever. I'm going to go, but I'm not going to be that, that Jesus crispy friend that I used to know when I was in high school. It was just all crazy for God and stuff like that. I'll go, but I'm just going to be there as a light. And if they ask me questions, fine. And I'll whatever. And I would, you know, pray in my car before I'd walk into the bar and Lord, help me, help me, help me. And I'd sit there and I'm not kidding you, man. They would line up. I'm not kidding. They lined up to see me. My uh, nickname was Fro. It's a long story. Um, and they would line up and they would say, Fro, where you been, man? Where you been? Hell, you know, we're ripping out our wallets, showing pictures of the kids. We haven't seen each other. This is before Facebook. I mean, it's all that stuff. And we're, we're, we're looking at all the pictures. And then, and then the questions would start. So I hear you're part of a church now. I hear you go to church now. Tell me, tell me about that. And I'm like, ooh, open door. Yes, please. And so I step in and begin to tell them the change that Jesus had brought to my life. I'll never forget this time um, between the, the taps of the one hitters and the empty beer bottles being thrown into the trash can. I'll never forget the time that someone was exhaling into my face saying, whew, 
Yeah, I need to get to church, man. I grew up in church. I've just wandered so far away from God. And I'm going, do you have any idea who he'd be talking to if I wasn't there? Do you have any idea? Do you, th- do you think for a moment they would be talking about God if I wasn't there? No. And so I boldly go where no man should go. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Is that, is that Star Trek? I don't I don't know. I'm that guy. Let us make man in our image and place him into the creation. Jesus has called you, no question. He's called you out of the place that you were and he's intending for you to go back and to rescue others. Now that's a big, (laughs) a big ginormous job and you should not go into it unadvisedly or lightly. You should do so reverently. You should do so honestly and you should do so with the power of God inside of you. I think it's then that we'll begin to see the the world become that which God intended it to be in the first place, that it will become good again. So we made it. (laughs) Nobody threw stones at me, right? So we got through the creation account. We feel encouraged, anyone? Yes, yes. So I just wanna pray for us. say that in the beginning you created the heavens and the earth that in a thought that originated with you was birthed out of you you created all that is and then you created the the world around us and you placed us inside of it God and, and for that we're forever thankful and grateful because of the work that you've done, we have this thing called life. And I pray now, God, that we would use this life for your good, that we not waste our lives on menial things, the secondary, tertiary things, that we, that we find the primary thing in our life is Jesus Christ, and we begin to follow him, serve him, um, obey his commands to seek the lost, to rescue those who need rescue, to help those who need help, to heal the sick, to do all of the things that you want to do, Lord. God, I thank you for this message of comfort. I pray that it would sit deep inside of us and would, um, well, God, I pray that it would do the work that you intended it to do, just like it did for Israel. is it comforted them and let them know that they were going the right way with the right God. And I feel that for our lives as well. Lord, we thank you for everything that you have done for us. We thank you for Jesus, our King, who rules and reigns forever. 
we thank you that you've made him available to us. By faith, we can have all that he promises, promises us to have. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes inside of us and, um, and empowers us to live the life that we could never live before. That through Jesus Christ giving us the Holy Spirit, we have the hope of change. We have the hope of overcoming sin, pushing back uh, those sinful things in our lives. We have the hope of a changed life, a forever changed life. And so God, we just rejoice and thank you for that. God, we ask that you bless the rest of our time together and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.